I'm the pastor here at the Vineyard, and I'm really glad that you're here. If you want to, why don't you open up your Bibles uh, to Revelation chapter 4. That's where we're going to be this morning. So if you can flip there, just go to the back and find a bold four, and that'll pretty much be it. <clears throat> yeah, this is the sixth and final week. Uh, before I do that, I, I, need, I have one announcement I need to make before I, I get into that. Totally forgot. Uh, last week was uh, Big Gift Sunday. Yeah. I'm happy to report we, 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 t- we received over 11,000 bucks. So come on, Vineyard. That's pretty good. Yeah, we're really pleased, and we've, uh, we've already written the check, paid it, on our, paid it on our mortgage, and we are good to go. So, you know, thanks, Lord. Uh, it means a lot to me because really what it demonstrates is that, that radical generosity isn't just a banner that we hang in our room. It's something that we actually live. And so, come on, that, that, that's exciting for me. Yeah, okay, back to the message. How many of you guys are real, how many of you are aware that, um, that this morning during worship we... We went somewhere. I hope you did. I mean, I went somewhere. I hope you did. Um, yeah, and that's what we want to talk about this morning is, is going somewhere in worship because uh, this is the sixth and final week of our series here at the Vineyard on Worship. We've been, we've been plowing for the last five weeks, searching the scriptures. We've been skipping like a stone across the scriptures, looking for, uh, looking for examples of what biblical worship not only is in the text, but how we can make it applicable to our actual life. Uh, one of the things I'm, I'm not interested in ever, not just in this series, but in any series or in any sermon or in any message, the thing that I'm not interested in is this. I'm not interested in, it, in us just becoming the most educated Bible scholars that ever went to church. I'm, I'm utterly not interested in that. I, I'm not interested in us studying the Bible so that we can get more Bible facts um, most people know more Bible facts than they actually even need to know. One of the things I am interested in is I'm interested in us encountering the Scriptures in such a way that the, that the Scriptures impact our actual lives. You know, here's the deal. I don't know about you, but I know it's true in my own life. I, I've realized with, with some disgust in my own life that I, that I, I live a double life. And, and that there's my actual life and then there's, then there's the life that I wish or, or the life that I that I hope for, or the life that I sometimes, sometimes imagine myself to live when I come to the Scriptures. You know, I come to the Scriptures, oh yeah, I know that. And, and, I, and I fool myself sometimes into thinking that because I know that, because I know where it is, because I've read the words before, that it's actually impacting my real life. Does that happen to anybody else in the room? Yeah. One of the things I want to do, I feel challenged by the Lord in my own life, and I feel challenged for us, is that we're to be a people where there, we're to be people who do not live double lives, we're to be a singular people where when we encounter the scriptures, they, they impact our actual life. They impact Monday. Monday's different, you know? And so that's, that's one of the reasons we wanted to, uh, to investigate, again, worship. We wanted to skip like a stone, see what biblical worship looked like, not so that we could become experts on worship. Who cares about that? I want to become an expert in practicing. And so for the past five weeks, we've been redigging the wells of worship. I, it was one of the words the Lord gave me for this series. I felt like we needed to, to uncover the scriptures again, go back and redig the wells of worship, because we have a banner in the back that, that, that outlines that worship is one of our main priorities here at the Vineyard. And if you're, if you're new here, 
if you're new here, you don't understand maybe the history of this church. And, and because uh, you haven't encountered the history of this church, perhaps you don't understand the value that we give to worship or why we give worship, you know, an hour, you know? Why, why do we not care to give worship longer than an hour? Why do we not care that some of our worship band kind of freaks out during worship, you know? And the reason we don't care is because, because we are utterly convinced that he's worthy. And, and we're utterly convinced that next to his presence, and, uh, next to an experience with his actual presence, that worship is our most valuable asset that we have in the vineyard. Uh, we, this church is 14 years old. And, and from the beginning of this church, um, worship was, was a primary goal. It was a primary value. We, went, we met in a, in a small group. We met in Dick and Diane Salmon's house. And it was... You can go there today. It's still there. It's just it's a little house. It's a really nice house, but the living room isn't particularly large. And when you stuff 35 people in it, it becomes even smaller. But the reason that people came together, maybe, maybe one of the things that shaped us as a, as a church most, one of the things that, that, that most, most shaped our DNA, and because it shaped our DNA, it shaped everything that's ever happened from there on out, has been the fact that the people who crammed into that little into that little living room where people who, whose ultimate goal in life was to honor God and to give him worship. It's, you know, why are, we, why are we like this? Well, it's just because we've always been like this. You know? It's who we are. And, um, yeah, the Lord's really good. He's really, I'm just, I'm, I'm very aware of his presence even right now. Um, maybe some of you guys, um, maybe some of you are new to uh, an experience of the tangible presence of God. But I just want to tell you, like, right now, this is, he is here. It's a teaching moment even right now. He's here. You guys feel the, the, the peace and the quiet that's in the room? It, it's not just silence. It's not just lack of noise. He's here. So good. Man, we just appreciate you being here, Father. I just have a couple things I want to get to this morning. Uh, normally, I would probably go on and on, and I, I don't feel like I'm supposed to. I feel like we're supposed to go right back into where we just came from. I feel like we just did the thing we're supposed to do this morning. But I want to, I want to throw out a couple nuggets for us that will maybe help, help teach us and shape us a little bit from the Scripture. And then I want, I want to go right back into worship. That'll be all right. That'll be okay? Yeah. How many of you realize, realize that, when, that when, the, when the kingdom comes in its fullness, that you're not going to need your healing ministry. Uh, how many of you realize that when the kingdom comes in its fullness, it really doesn't matter if you're a good preacher or not? How many of you realize that we're not really going to need an evangelist when the kingdom comes in its fullness? What are you getting at, Adam? Well, here's what I'm getting at. I'm getting at that there are certain things that are for now, and then there are certain things that are for now and forever. And one of the things that's for now and forever is our, is our ministry to the Lord as worshipers. How many of you guys realize, how many of you guys realize that the single most stunning reality in the, in the universe is that there is a God in heaven and that he's abundantly good and that if we, and if we, miss, if we miss that reality 
And if we, if we miss responding to that reality, then we have divorced ourselves from living in reality. See, the, the, the most stunning fact in all the universe is that there's a God in heaven and that he is abundantly good. Not only that, but he's been abundantly good to me. He's been abundantly good to you. And if you miss that fact, what you actually do, you don't just miss a fact, but you miss a foundational truth that's so foundational that you actually divorce yourself from being able to live in reality. When you divorce yourself from being able to live in reality, the door of deception is flown wide open in your life. When the door, the, when the door of deception is flown wide, flung wide open in your life, any and every sort of thing can and will come in. Why do we value worship? Because worship aligns us with ultimate truth and it aligns us with an ultimate reality. See, here's the deal. A person will not worship the thing they do not believe in or trust. A person will not worship the thing they do not value. A person will not lay their heart before the thing that doesn't capture their passions. And if in anything that captures your passions, apart from Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, anything that captures your passions apart from them or exceeds your passions for them, divorces you from the ultimate reality of life. And when you become divorced from that reality, the door of deception is flown wide open. Why do we value worship? Because it's the ultimate truth. It's, the, it's, it's, like, it's like connecting live wires. It's putting, it's putting the plug into the socket. I mean, it, it, is, it is the ultimate truth. Why do, we, why do we want to spend so much time in worship? We want to spend so much time in worship because worship is where we come into contact with ultimate truth. And the truth is Him. I mean, we can come into contact with, with the truth in a lot of other ways, and I'm for them. But the, I have found in my life, the thing that most ignites my own heart and the thing that most softens me to accept truth is when I come in and I, and I lay my heart before him and I say, God, you're awesome. I found in that moment that I'm more able to accept truth and, and, to, and to live under the demands of truth wholeheartedly. One of the things that we've realized over the years here at the Vineyard is a lot more happens on accident in worship than we can plan in ministry. And one of the reasons that that happens is because when we come into worship, we come into His presence. And when we come into His presence, His presence is the exact same thing as coming into His power. Because with the Lord, it is impossible to, it is impossible to separate His character from His nature. And so when you come into His presence... It is impossible to separate who he is from what he does. You come into his presence and you come into his power. And because of that, a lot of times, a lot more will happen on accident than we ever could plan otherwise. He's just like really here right now. Holy smokes, Jesus, you are really here. And if you're not aware that he's here, it's really okay. Just hang out. Just hang out. Man, I want to read the scripture to you, and then I want to, I want to throw out a couple nuggets, and then we'll, we're going we're gonna to worship the Lord, because it's what we're supposed to do today. I want to read the whole scripture to you. Chapter 4. Marcus, can you put it up for me, please? Thank you. By the way, this is like one of my favorite scriptures in all the Bible. 
I, I don't understand even an eighth of it, and I just love it anyway. Anybody else have a, have a scripture in the Bible that's like, I don't know what it means, but it's awesome. Yeah, okay, that's me. After this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. And at once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of a jasper and a carnelian. A rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. And they were dressed in white, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning, and rumblings, and peals of thunder. And before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes, in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second was like an ox, and the third had a face like a man, the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. And day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and they worship him who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and they say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. Come on. There's life all over that. I don't even understand it. How many people in the room have ever been dumbfounded by something? You saw something and it just utterly astounded you, put dumbfounded you. Anybody ever had that experience? One of those one of those experiences where you see something or you experience something and the sight or the experience evokes a response. It's, it's almost involuntary. That's kind of what I'm talking about. Anybody with me on that? Yeah. yeah. That's what happens in heaven all the time. Anybody here ever wonder why angels and elders and creatures say holy, holy, holy forever? And from what I can gather, they don't get tired of it. Would you get tired of it? I mean, if we answered honestly, the, answer, the honest answer is yes, I would get tired of that. Except, except the atmosphere that they say holy in is such an amazing and astounding atmosphere. They're utterly dumbfounded, and the only appropriate response is the Lord is holy. Um, I got a couple trivial examples of, of this that, that don't pay the scripture much honor, but I'll go ahead and talk about them anyway. Um, one time, Heather and I, we went to a, uh, we went to a museum in, in Charlotte, the Mint Museum of Art. And while we were at the Mint Museum of Art, we had actually gone there to see the Ansel Adams photographs. And so, because it's a good curia- curator, curator, 
speak for a living, he put the exhibit at the very furthest part from the front entrance. And so as we're walking through the, as we're walking through the, the, the museum to go and see the exhibit that we wanted to see. So we got to see everything else, and it was awesome. I mean, there was everything in there. Uh, there were awesome sculptures. They had a bunch of, like, Egyptian art that was, like, 5,000 years old. That blows my brain. I don't even know how that happens. But they have fragments of Egyptians from, you know, 5,500 years ago. They have all of these really cool paintings from, you know, the 1300s in Europe, back when everything was still flat, you know, those really flat-looking paintings, and they have little halos around everybody. We looked at all those. But then we came into the room where, where the Ansel Adams photographs were. And, and honestly, my reaction to them was one of absolute amazement. And I was just utterly dumbfounded. They were so beautiful. They were like photographs. To this day, I've never seen photographs that were like these photographs. And at that point, you realize this guy's famous for a reason. You know? There were, there was, it, was a, it was a pretty good-sized room. And they had, they had several photographs. Um, by the way, Ansel Adams is the guy who did the black and white photographs, really famous pictures of the West. Everybody with me now? Okay. Well, there was, you know, the room's full of them, and even the way that they were mounted to the wall was intriguing and amazing, and, and they, they looked less like photographs, and there was almost a, a liquid quality to them. They weren't liquid, they weren't water, but they were, they were something so, I don't know. He, he was a total master. And then there's, there's one section of the paintings, paintings, photographs, where um, there were about six photographs in a row where he had taken photographs of the aspen trees in Colorado. The aspens are those really, really beautiful white trees. And he had taken photographs of them in such a way that the aspens were perfectly white and the space between them was perfectly black. At first, I couldn't even tell what it was. It w- and it was, you know, utter amazement. And then you walk up to it and you go, oh my gosh, it's a tree, you know? Yeah. Being dumbfounded by something. Yeah. There's something about amazement that, that, that unlocks the heart. And that's what's happening in, in Revelation all the time. How is it that elders and angels and creatures can constantly lay their lives down and constantly adore the Lord and constantly tell the Lord, you are holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. How is it? It's because they're, they're constantly seeing something about him. brings me to one of the nuggets I want to give to us. See, worship flows from seeing God. If you don't see God, you can't worship Him. Um, one of the things that uh, the Scripture opens up to us this morning is that there are four living creatures who are around the throne. And all over the creatures, what do they have? Eyes. Have you ever wondered, have you ever read that and gone, why is it that these creatures are covered with eyes? Anybody else, anybody in the room ever wondered, this is really strange. I know that it's in heaven, and I know that heaven's a good place, and I know that God's a good person. I'm not too sure about these creatures. For 20, like 25 years, that was my reaction. I'm like, okay, God, I know you're good. Jesus, you know, we all know you're good. Holy Spirit, you scare me sometimes, but I know you're good. Heaven, you know, my grandma was there, so it's got to be good. But these four creatures with eyeballs all over, I am unsure about these creatures. They're scary. They have six wings. The wings are covered with eyeballs. This sounds like an M. Night Shyamalan movie, doesn't it? (laughs) Tess got it. Come on. Why are the creatures 
covered with eyeballs. Because there's so much to see. Because there's so much to see. Why is it that the creatures are the ones who are constantly crying out holy? Because they're the ones that see the most. I want to tell you, holiness, the holiness of God is is seen. It's not just just something that's known, it's it's, it's an experience. And in heaven, around his throne, there are four living creatures, they have eyeballs all around, and they even have eyes underneath their wings. The wings, maybe they're down, maybe they're up. Places where you wouldn't even need an eyeball, apparently you need an eyeball in heaven because there's so much to see. What's the point? Here's the point. The point is, if you feel the fires of worship beginning to ebb in your life, it's because you don't see God. Everyone who sees Him is ignited in worship. Because here's the deal. Sight leads to perception. And perception leads to understanding. And understanding leads to praise. In this picture, this is how it works. If I can't see the Lord, I can't perceive of Him. If I can't perceive of Him, I can't understand anything about Him. And if I can't understand Him, I'm utterly disconnected from who He is and why that I should be a worshiper in the first place. See, sight leads to perception. Perception leads to understanding. And understanding leads to a life of worship. If you're, if you're at the place right now, and, and I'm, you know, there's a room of a couple hundred people in here. If you're at a place in your life where, where you know you're supposed to worship, but you just don't feel like it. Or you know you're supposed to worship, but for all you're trying, nothing much comes out. And there's certainly nothing much in your heart that's ignited when you are beginning to worship the Lord. If you, if you find yourself in that spot, the, the, the prayer of your life should turn to this. God, open up my eyes and allow me to see you. I've done this so many times in my life. There have, been, there have been times in my life where I've felt utterly disconnected from who the Lord is, and I've felt utterly disconnected from, from, from being able to just encounter His presence. Like, I, I don't know if, you've, if you guys have ever been like this, but, you know, you grow up, you go to Bible school, and I even have a degree in biblical studies, so I'm extra smart on the Bible. That's ridiculous, by the way. But you grow up, you go to Bible school, you even go to Bible college. And at the end of it, you know, you end up knowing certain things about God. And one of the things that you know about God is that you know that he's omnipresent, meaning that he's everywhere all the time, you know? And for all of your knowledge that he's omnipresent everywhere all the time, you hit that spot in your life where he feels like he's nowhere anytime. And at the same time, you want to be with him. So... You know that he's everywhere all the time. It sure as heck seems like he's nowhere any of the time. And you want to be with him. And you go, well, what gives? What gives? I want to tell you, one of the things, one of the ways that I have found to get out of that situation and to get into a life of, of intimate connection with the Lord is to begin to pray, Father, open the eyes of my heart so that I can see you. Because the person whose, whose heart is alive to the fact that God is present and that God is real is the person whose heart is alive with worship the other thing I found in my life is this I've also found that 
that my life, the balance of my life, if I can talk about it this way, I found that the balance of my life is critically impacted by the worship level in my life. I have found that when I am a son who is connecting to the presence of God, and when I am a son who, who is, is able to, to feel his affections for me and able to respond with worship, I found when I'm in that place in my life that the balance, the rest of my life, is in a good place as well. And so one of the most important prayers is, God, open the eyes of my heart and let me see you. God, would you put eyeballs on my hands? God, would you put eyeballs on my legs and on my, and on my feet and on my belly? Would you just cover me? And would you cause every encounter that I have with people to be an encounter where I can see your goodness? Because when you get divorced from seeing the goodness of God, you become divorced from the ultimate reality that there is in the universe. And when you become divorced from that reality, the balance of your life becomes off kilter. And the door of deception is opened. Two more things. Have you noticed that in, in Scripture, there's, there's only about three spots in Scripture where we get a, a, a little peek. We get to look through the window into heaven. Um, the first one is in Isaiah chapter 6. The second one is in Ezekiel chapter 1, which if you guys like weird stuff, Ezekiel chapter 1 is abundantly weird. Okay? If anyone is, is it, here's the deal. If anyone here is uncomfortable with weird things happening at church, well then you're just uncomfortable with God. Because... Ezekiel chapter 1 is abundantly weird. There's no other way around it. There's wheels inside of wheels, and the wheels have eyeballs on them. And it's Bible. You know? This isn't Harry Potter. But there's, there's three places in the Scripture where we get glimpses into the window of heaven. One of them is, is Isaiah chapter 6. Um, another one is Ezekiel chapter 1. And then right here in, in, in Revelation, especially chapter 4 and 5, we get... We get a picture, we get to gaze into the window of heaven and see what happens. And, and the thing that's always happening in heaven is, worship is always happening in heaven. And in every place, there's a particular kind of worship that's happening. It, it's, it, I call it the ancient song. There's an ancient song that's being sung in heaven, and it's always been sung in heaven. It is currently being sung in heaven, and it will currently continue to go on forever. And it is holy Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. Have you ever wondered why every single time someone who encounters the presence of God, but not just the presence, but every time someone encounters the person of God, and especially any time anyone encounters God the Father, their automatic reaction is holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Maybe you've never thought about that. I'll give you two seconds to absorb that thought and begin to think about that. Yeah, see, there's something about being around God, not just his presence, but being around him. And the ultimate reaction from everyone who's ever been around him in that way is that God is holy. And holy is a really good church word. It's a really good word outside of the church, too. But it's one of those church words 
that most of the time we're divorced from the understanding and the meaning of what it actually means. Uh, holiness isn't just like, it's not just the word that comes before crap, you know? It, 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 is, it, is, it is powerfully descriptive of who the Lord is. Like above and beyond all other descriptions of who God is, the one that seems to fit most is, is holy. And in and, 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 and both the Greek and the Hebrew, holy carries the connotation of cut, to cut something out or to be separated. So, you know, there's a certain aspect of holiness that's about being cut out and being separated. But it's not just that. Uh, holiness, especially from, from, a, from a Hebrew mindset, holiness has to do with God's otherness. Anybody ever heard that? God's otherness? So here's the deal. If God were, if God were filling out the census, when it comes to the, when it comes to the box about uh, ethnicity and race, God would come to the census box and he would go, white, no, black, no, Asian, no. He would check the one to the far right, other. He's, he's other. Still doesn't really help us, right? Yeah. See, here's the, here's the deal about the holy, holiness of God. God's otherness, it, it looks like this. Everything else in the universe, every single thing in the entire universe has been created. Every, every person in here, every fabric, every molecule, everything we see, stuff we don't even see has been created. You know what, you realize this? Even scientists, even every scientist in the world agrees that everything came from something. The discussion is about where did it come from. So everything in the universe is created except one thing. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Other. Everything in the universe has limits. Every person in here is limited in what they can absorb and what they can perform. You're, you're a limited person. Uh, it doesn't matter how brilliant you are, your brilliance has a limit. Uh, it, doesn't matter, it doesn't matter how athletic you are, your, athletic, your athleticism has, has a limit. It doesn't matter... It doesn't matter how, how, how business savvy you are, your, 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 business, your business acuity has a limit. The only thing in the universe that doesn't have a limit is God, other. Every single thing else in the universe is set in time and space. You, you were born at a particular time, and you are at a particular spot. One of the things that I realized is, for all my trying, I can't be at two places at once. God lives in neither time nor space. He is other. And there's something about encountering him when we encounter, when we encounter God in, in not, just, not, just, it just, not just, you know, an experience of his presence, but there's something about encountering him, coming face to face with him. His, his divine otherness becomes manifest to us and it becomes the overwhelming truth. One of the things I'm crying out for is, God, let me encounter you in your holiness. Uh, it's one of the things that we, we looked at, uh, what is it, three weeks ago when we were in Second Chronicles chapter 20? You guys remember that? Jehoshaphat, whose name has three H's? Yeah, I still can't get over that. Um, yeah, Jehoshaphat, when he's sending out, when he's sending out the, his army, before he sends his army out, he gets all of his worshipers together and he puts them in the front, which is, you know, if you're looking at this, this is the worst military battle plan ever. Okay, 
Like if you're a general, this is how you don't do it. But this is what Jehoshaphat does. He takes all the singers and all the musicians, he puts them out front, and then this is the direction he, that he gives them. He says to them, I want you guys to sing praises to God, and I want you to worship him in the splendor of his holiness. God is the pre-existent, self-sustaining, needs-nobody God of the universe. I want you to go out and worship him in the beauty of his otherness. You know, Vineyard, one of the things that we need an encounter with, we need an encounter with his presence sufficient to, to, to allow us to see the splendor of his holiness. Because obviously in heaven, the thing that's most, most treasured is the splendor of his holiness. And so one of the things I came here to ask everyone in the room, everyone who, who fancies themselves to be a worshiper, is this. What is it about the presence of God that I treasure most? Is it just, is it just the way he makes me feel? Or is it who he is. One of, the, one of the things we need, we need, we need an increased encounter with the presence of God sufficient enough to allow us to worship him in the beauty and the splendor of his holiness, to allow us to worship him in his otherness, to allow, him, to allow us to worship him for just being him. One more thing and I'll be done. It's a pretty cool picture here. Um, inside of heaven, there's a, there's a throne. God sits on it. Around the throne are 24 other thrones. And you can dig out your commentaries. And if you read 100 commentaries, you would have 100 answers on who's on those thrones. I don't have the answer to that. What we do know is that it's, it's people. It's not angels. And it's not creatures, but it's people. Most likely representatives of the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles. God's, some of God's favorite people. And they're highly honored. It's one of the things we know. They're dressed in white. And, and all the way through scripture, white represents righteousness. And so surrounding the throne of God are 24 other thrones. And on these thrones are men, and they're not just men, but they're highly honored men. Imagine this, you're one of the people who gets to sit extra close to God. Not only that, you don't get to sit extra close to God, you get your own throne, you get a little throne next to the big throne. So we know a couple things. We know that these guys are righteous, they are are righteous men, They they have lived right with God, and we also know that they are highly honored. They, they live near the presence of God. And, and that just, that, I hope that defines honor for us a little bit. Honor flows from the nearness to his presence. There's something about honor that comes from his presence. It doesn't come any other way. It comes from his favor being set upon someone. And so these are men who are honored by the Lord and, and, they, um, and they're righteous, okay? And I love the picture. When the, when the living creatures with the eyeballs all over them who see and perceive and understand the most about who the Lord is, when they begin to worship the Lord by saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come, the highly honored righteous dudes fall on their faces and they take their crowns and they throw them at the Lord. What's the point? A couple points. Number one, this is, this, this is the standard for leadership in God's kingdom. You know, the standard for leadership in the world is 
brilliance, looks, and influence. The standard for leadership in God's kingdom is who is willing to take their success and throw it at the feet of Jesus. The, the, the standard of success in, in the kingdom is who, who is willing to fall off their throne and worship God. And, and so one of the things that, that I'm really excited to be able to tell you guys has always been a reality here at the Vineyard is this, that the elders here at the Vineyard have always been guys who worship God. But it's, it, but it's bigger than that. It's, it's who has influence in the kingdom. Worshippers have influence in the kingdom. And when, it says, when the Bible says that they, they take off their golden crowns and they throw it at this feet, they're not just, they're not just, they're not just royal crowns. Uh, the Greek word there for those kind of crowns is crowns of victory. Anybody here ever watched the Olympics? Or read about the, the ancient Olympics? When, when the ancient Olympians would would win a race or, you know, come out and be the victor in, 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 the, in the wrestling match. They got, they, got a, they got a crown of victory, a, a little laurel crown put upon them. And, and these, are, these, are, these are righteous, highly honored and favored men. And they've taken their golden crowns and they throw them before the Lord. So they're throwing their victory at the feet of Jesus. What's the point? The point is this. These are, these are people who throw their successes and their achievements before the Lord. How does the kingdom of heaven work? The kingdom of heaven works like this. It works, it works like this. When we come to the Lord, every single time we come to the Lord, one of the things we need to look to do is to even make a weekly review. God, what is it, what is it that I've accomplished this week? What is it that I've, that I've succeeded in this week? And be able to, to lay that at his feet in such a way. And what it really says is this. God, that wasn't just me. I know that you were behind it. It, it, it wasn't just my strength. I don't, live, I don't live just for what my own two hands can pick up, God. I live for what my own two hands can deliver to your feet. I don't, I don't live for just the, the strength that I can muster in my own. I live my, 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 my success and my achievements and my strength. They belong to you. Worship team, you guys can come on up. We're going we're gonna to go back into worship for a little while longer here. And then we'll be released. One, one of the other messages that, that, that comes through Revelation chapter 4 is, and I love this, is this. When John encounters this scene, the opening verse there is, you know, I heard a voice and I saw a door standing open in heaven. Here's the good news. The door is still open. Heaven is open. And so when we worship here this morning, when we, when we, when we stand and we sing to the Lord, when we begin to offer Him our heart, when we begin to offer Him our affections, we're not just singing in a purple room. Like your worship just doesn't, it doesn't just hit the head of the person that you're sitting behind. It, it doesn't just, it doesn't, it doesn't just stop at the white ceiling. When we worship this morning, one of the things I want us all to realize is that we're actually joining with heaven. It, it, this is always happening in heaven. And so this is one of the ways that we can, that we can join with heaven. Worship, worship is the language of the kingdom. 
Worship is the language of the kingdom. The, the kingdom has a completely different kind of culture. And, and the culture begins with honoring God. Everything in the culture centers around honoring Him. So why don't we stand this morning? That'd be all right. And let's spend a few more minutes. Let's spend a few more minutes honoring Him.